Today we're looking at another lesson that we can learn from a lesser known person in the Bible. And in the last two weeks, we looked at the life of Gideon. We've looked at the life of Hagar. We've learned from the life of Gideon that with God you can live a significant life. That you don't have to hide from your enemies. You don't have to hide from your battles. God will fight with you. God will fight for you. And then last week from the life of Hagar, we learned that even when your life doesn't make sense, God can and God will bless you when you follow him. And so today in this last message in this series, we're looking at the life of Elisha. And maybe when you hear the name of Elisha, you might think, yeah, I know that guy. I remember Elisha. He's that guy that proved before 450 prophets of Baal that Baal was not God. He was that guy that asked them to put a bull on an altar and then bow down and ask their God Baal to send down fire to consume their sacrifice. He's that guy that had them pray and ask Baal to do that for an entire day, but fire never came. Man, I remember that guy. He's the guy that proved before those prophets of Baal that his God, Jehovah, was the only true God. He's the guy who then built another altar and put a bull for his sacrifice on that altar. And then he's the guy who asked the prophets of Baal to cover his sacrifice, the altar, the bull on the altar, two times with water, drench it with water. Yeah, he's that guy that asked God, excuse me, who then asked God to come down and send fire and consume his sacrifice on that altar. And then fire came from everywhere and consumed it all. The bull, the altar, the water in the trench around the altar. He's that guy. No. That's Elijah. Look at this. Elisha was a lesser known intern, apprentice of Elijah. But listen close now. God even used the lesser known Elisha to do more miracles than Elijah ever did. And just like Elisha's life, a Christian's life, your life, my life, is supposed to be filled with miracles from the hand of Almighty God working through us. In fact, a Christian's life starts with a miracle. The miracle of being forgiven from all sin by a holy God. A Christian's life ends with the miracle of getting eternal life in heaven with holy God. So listen close. I think you have to admit that you getting forgiveness, that you being made perfect in God's sight, holy God's sight through the sacrifice of Jesus, that, that you getting an eternal home in heaven with him is quite a miracle. Amen? Come on. You know you, right? Amen? <laughs> you getting forgiveness is quite a miracle. And the person sitting next to you being made perfect, well, is that even a greater miracle? I see some elbows going. All of those things are flat-out miracles. Those are miracles that God does for us as well as so many other things. 
Now, there are two kind of miracles. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are supernatural miracles, and then there are life-changing miracles. Two kinds of miracles. Supernatural miracles are when God does something in nature. Like he reaches down and he parts the Red Sea. He multiplies the loaves and the fishes so Jesus could feed 5,000 people. He stops the sun. He holds it in place in the sky for a whole day. Or like he fills the fisherman's boat with fish. Or like he brings dead Lazarus back to life. Those were great supernatural kinds of miracles from our great miracle-working God. But there's also life-changing miracles. Those miracles are when God changes your mind, when God changes your heart, when God changes your character. It's when God gives you a new life through the power and the work of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I think that life-changing miracles really are the big ones, the big miracles. Life-changing miracles are the most important miracles. Supernatural ones, they're temporary. Supernatural miracles only last as long as we're on earth, but life-changing miracles that God does in you, in your mind, in your heart, in your character, last for eternity. Now, we've all got questions when we talk about miracles. Questions like, why don't we see more miracles today? Or questions like, Why do we have to pray and pray and pray and wait so long for God to actually do a miracle? Or why did so-and-so get a miracle healing from God, but my loved one didn't? We've got all these questions about miracles, but one thing I know is this. God's miracles are all about God drawing people, as many people as possible, in this temporary sin-filled earth. It's all about him doing miracles to draw people from this earth into his eternal home, his eternal family in heaven. And folks, God is still doing both supernatural and life-changing miracles today. The Bible says this, For you, God, are great and do great miracles. You alone are God. But the deal is this, while you're waiting on your great miracle-working God to unleash a current miracle in your life, in your need, how should you live? How does God want you to live between the last miracle He did in your life and the next one that you need? How do you live as a Christian in that period of time? Well, here's the big question. How should you live between your last miracle and the next one you need? Well, the life of Elisha teaches us how to do that. Write this down. First of all, live with tenacity. Live with tenacity. Be tenacious. Be persistent. In other words, keep trusting God and doing what's right in between those miracles. In the in-between time, keep pursuing God. Don't give up. For years and years, Elisha was an intern of Elijah. Elisha was out of the spotlight. Elijah was in the spotlight. Elisha was a watcher of miracles. Elijah was the doer of miracles. Elisha was a simple servant of Elijah. 
So I'm sure that Elisha had some times when he wondered, when am I going to see the miracle that I need in my life? Or when is God going to use me to do a miracle in somebody else's life? You know, he could have stopped following Elijah. He could have stopped following God. He could have gotten mad. I want to be like Elijah. I want to see God use me. But instead, Elisha lived with tenacity. From 2 Kings, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. Take a look at this. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, that means without death, in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So then together they went on down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, stay here in Bethel. Elisha said, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went on to Jericho. Then Elijah said to him, stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan, the Jordan River. And he, Elisha, replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. That's tenacity. Three times Elijah told Elisha, stay here. Three times Elisha said, no. I will not leave you. So can you imagine the conversation? Stay. No. Stay. No. Stay. No. I'm going. I'm going with you. The lesson is this. The miracle that was about to happen, the miracle of the Lord taking Elijah up to heaven to live with him without death in a whirlwind was going to happen at the Jordan River. It wasn't going to happen at Bethel. It wasn't going to happen at Jericho. It was going to happen at the Jordan River. Elijah knew that. Elisha knew that. So here's the lesson. If you want to see God do miracles in your life, if you want God to use you to do miracles in the lives of others around you, you have to have the tenacity to go all the way to the Jordan. You have to have the tenacity to take the entire journey with God. You don't stop at Bethel. You don't stop at Jericho. You don't give up. You complete your journey with God. You complete your journey for God. You don't have faith and follow God just for the first mile in this life. You follow God the whole distance of your life. You have the tenacity to stick with God's people and God all the way. Because it's those who go the distance with God who get to see God do miracles in them and through them. Moses had tenacity. He followed God in the desert for 40 years. Then God did huge miracles for him. Joshua had tenacity. He followed Moses as his intern his whole life before he saw God do the miracle of bringing the walls of Jericho down. Peter had tenacity. He followed Jesus three years before he got to preach and see God have all of these people, 3,000 people respond to his message and believe in Jesus Christ. Paul had tenacity. He followed Jesus and never gave up, even when he was being beaten and stoned. And he was almost dead before God gave him a vision of heaven. You see, we all want to see our great God do great miracles. And we all want to see our God do great miracles in our lives instantly. 
boom, we pray, boom. We, we, we want the answer, amen, amen? We want to see that. But are you willing to go the distance with God? To not stop short of the miracle? Are you willing to go the whole distance through this life with God, no matter what happens? Are you willing to go the distance toward obedience to God? Go the distance toward holiness for God? Are you willing to go the whole distance for a more consistent relationship with God? Not just to Bethel, not just the first mile, not just to Jericho, not just the second mile. Will you go the whole distance with God to the Jordan? Because that's going into miracle territory. When you walk with God the whole distance, day in and day out, it moves you into miracle territory. So how should you live in between your last miracle and the current one that you need? You live with tenacity. You go the whole distance. You walk with God. You talk with God. Amen? Second, you live then with sensitivity. Be sensitive to and be aware of what God is doing around you, whether you ever understand it or not. The Bible says this. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. Now, the prophets and Elisha were all sensing what God was about to do. They knew God's plan. They didn't know why God was doing it. They didn't really like it, but they were all listening to God. They were all focused on God. They were sensitive to what God was up to. How should you live between your last miracle and the next one you need? Be sensitive. Write this down. Be sensitive to God's actions. Be sensitive to what God is doing all around you. Elisha was sensitive that day that it was Elijah's last day on earth. So he was feeling for Elijah and what he must be going through. He was sensitive that day that God had a big plan for Elijah. And so he was focusing on God and what he was about to do. The question is, how can you be sensitive to what God is doing in your time of need? How can you live with a sensitivity to God in your time of need, what you're going through? Here's the answer. It's very simple. Be in God's word, be in God's presence, and be with God's people. How can you stay sensitive? Be in God's word, be in God's presence, and be with God's people. Otherwise, you will only see your need instead of what God is doing about your need. You will only be self-focused Instead of God focused, you will lose sensitivity to what God is doing on your behalf. And so if you just focus on your need, oh, God, how am I going to get out of this? How are we going to solve this? Lord, I, I don't see the answer. What should I do? If you're only focused on you, you're going to miss all the things that God is doing for you. And you'll miss all the encouraging things he's doing on your behalf. But being in God's word. Being in God's presence every day and with God's people keeps you sensitive to God's actions. It keeps you focused on God and Him and what He's doing in your behalf. You know, Shirley and I, as most of you know, 
right now are living in between miracles. We're living in between. Many of you know that Shirley, three years ago, was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And it was a miracle how God even helped her discover that she had thyroid cancer. And, and he orchestrated a miracle to discover it, that she even had it. And then God healed it. But now three years after that, after years of breathing struggles, God orchestrated a miracle to discover the real problem was that she had lung cancer. And so here we are. Most of you know this. We're living in between the, the last miracle that God performed for us and the next one that we need. Your pastors are living in this in-between time. But during this time, we have committed to stay in God's word, in God's presence, and with God's people. And those three things are keeping us sensitive to what he's doing on our behalf. And folks, we are seeing God orchestrate things on our behalf that we never, ever could have orchestrated ourselves. I want to share just three or four of those with you. When Shirley was diagnosed, uh, we had an uh, HMO, and we didn't know where we were going to go, and we were sent a few different places, and we just weren't uh, being happy with the, the guidance that we were getting. And so we, we thought, man, we'd like to get into a place like City of Hope, but we don't know how that can ever, ever happen. Well, God had orchestrated a miracle years and years before that. You know my daughter Sherry, that's over here, our children's pastor, uh, she went to Azusa Pacific University, and there uh, she got to uh, go on to an internship uh, in a church in Pasadena, and that's where she met her husband today. His name is BJ. And growing up, BJ's family uh, adopted and brought into their household a Filipino girl. And uh, she had come to the United States, and uh, she had become a Christian, and her family kicked her out of the house, would have nothing to do with her because of her new faith in Christ, and BJ's family took her in, and so BJ as a little boy grew up with this Filipino sister in their home, and uh, so Sherry meets BJ, and this little Filipino uh, girl is part of the family, and we never met her until BJ and Sherry's wedding, and we just barely shook hands with her and, and met her, and uh, we had not even seen her until... Uh, we had the birthday party for our little grandson, Bruce, and all the families came together, and we were sitting around and talking, and, and uh, I, I got to talk with her. You know, I go to the Philippines most every year and work with a, a bunch of pastors and churches down there and love the Philippines, and what do you do? She said, well, I, I work at City of Hope. And I said, well, uh, what, what do you do at City of Hope? She goes, well, I work in breast cancer research. And I said, oh, really? That's interesting. We just talked about City of Hope and that for a while. And uh, so anyway, we, we left and nothing happened. And just a couple of days later, we found out that she went right back to the City Hope and she was knocking on doors, being our advocate. And I don't know if you know about this, but trying to get into the City of Hope is like a month-long process just to get in for a consultation. In just a couple of days, we were in for a consultation. And our HMO insurance wouldn't work there. And so we laid down a thousand bucks and we went for a consultation and we were so feeling led that we were supposed to be there. And so, her name's Rowena. She was just knocking on this door. And uh, so anyway, we thought, how in the world is this ever going to happen? Went home discouraged. And then all at once, 
some doors opened here among our church family members that we could get our insurance changed and we could get a single PPO for, for Shirley that would allow us to be in the City of Hope and would be accepted. And yet the renewal date wasn't until December 1st. You know how insurance works. You've got to wait till December 1st to renew. Well, they found a way that we could renew uh, in October and it would be effective November 1st and she could start treatments sooner. And so that all happened. And so all at once... What would usually take a month process, we were in the City of Hope with an insurance policy that they would take, and we didn't know this, but this Filipino girl was working on the team of the head lung cancer specialist over all of City of Hope. And we could have been referred to any oncologist, there are many there. We could have been referred to many, that would have been great, but we are with the Ph.D., the chair, the head of lung cancer research in all of City of Hope. Now, who could have ever orchestrated in their wildest dreams or imagination that Sherry was going to marry B.J.? I'm still wondering about that. <laughs> no. But they would have had an adopted daughter who was Filipino, who was going to end up at City of Hope in lung cancer, in, in, in research, that was good friends with the top oncologist, and that he would even take us. And today, he's such a kind, warm guy that he says, here's my cell phone number, my personal number. You need anything, you text me. Every time I text him, one minute, three minutes, he's right back at me. Folks, only God can orchestrate those kinds of things. We, we couldn't do that kind of thing. And then, how could we have gotten the top guy? I mean, his schedule is full. He's into full-on research. How could that ever happen? Only God can orchestrate those kind of things. And then after Christmas, uh, most every year, we go down to Yuma, Arizona. And uh, Shirley's dad spends the winter in Yuma, Arizona. And, and uh, I wanted to take her down to see her dad. He hadn't seen her since the diagnosis and all of this. So we went down there. And yeah, you know, I really go down there to ride dune buggies, right? <clears throat> but anyway, I took her to see her dad. And we went down there and... Uh, after a few days, all at once, she got this high fever, and we couldn't get it down, and we ended up going to the emergency room in Yuma, Arizona, and we were there from 5 o'clock until midnight, and they finally said, we're going to put her in a room, and she's got bilateral pneumonia, and we're going to have to keep her several days, and so that all started, and yet the next day, she was assigned an oncologist, and there's many at Yuma Regional Hospital, and this oncologist comes in, and they begin to talk, and he wants to give her all kinds of medications. She goes, no, I'm on chemo. I'm doing all this kind of stuff. we got to talk with my oncologist back at City of Hope first. And so he calls up, and they talk. And then we find out that this oncologist is doing research with Shirley's oncologist at City of Hope on lung cancer, and they're actually together testing the biopsy wedges that were taken out of Shirley together in September. Who could have put all that together? And they were in sync with the kind of treatment she needed to get over pneumonia. Yuma, Arizona? <laughs> the oncologist? How could only God can orchestrate those kind of things? And so I want to say to you today, because we're committed to being in God's word, in God's presence, and being with God's people... Those things are keeping us sensitive to God's actions. 
we're not focused on the diagnosis. We are focused on what God is doing for us. Amen? And Shirley and I joke all the time, honey, with all the prayer that you're getting, you're going to get healed and I'm going to lose my hair and die of a heart attack. <laughs> you know, we, we never know when it's going to be our time to go. But, and we know that what she has is serious and we're not making light of it. We're not denying it. We're, we're dealing with it. But we're seeing what God is doing on our behalf. And so we are not missing his work on our behalf. We're not discouraged, but we're encouraged by what he's doing for us. Those three things will help you become and stay sensitive to God and what he's doing. Next, be sensitive in these in-between times. Be sensitive to people's needs. Elisha was sensitive. Elisha knew it was Elijah's last day on earth. He knew it had to be hard for Elijah to know that. So Elisha, he stays with Elijah. Won't leave his side. Elijah's probably trying to get rid of this intern. <laughs> stay, stay. But he won't leave his side. And, and, and he's just being sensitive to what Elijah's dealing with. Now, the other prophets were not so sensitive. They were sensitive to God. They were listening to God. Uh, but they were not so sensitive in dealing with Elisha. They said, don't you know the Lord's going to take your master from you today? He goes, yes, I know, but do not speak of it. In other words, I know it, but I don't like it. And let's not talk about it. <laughs> he said, let's just leave it alone. Well, in the meantime, between your last miracle and the next one you need, learn to be sensitive to what God is doing, even if you don't understand it, and learn to be sensitive to the people around you, looking at their needs, listening to their stories, helping with your hands, being with them. That's what Elisha was doing with Elijah. Here's the deal. God loves to do miracles for, for servants who stay sensitive to Him and sensitive to others as they are right in the middle of their own current need. So be sensitive like Elisha. So how should you live between your last miracle and the one you need? Live with tenacity. Live with sensitivity. And then last this morning, live with purity. Live with purity. The Bible says this. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his coat, rolled it up, struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Elisha replied, You've asked for a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. Elisha wanted to inherit and live with a double portion of Elijah's pure heart and pure commitment to God. He had watched and followed Elijah his whole life. He had witnessed his pure heart and his pure commitment to God. And if Elijah had to be taken away by God and, and Elijah's role in ministry was now going to come into Elisha's life, Elisha's only request was that he might have a heart and a commitment as pure, twice as pure, a double portion of Elijah's. Now notice, Elisha didn't ask for money. 
He didn't ask for houses. He, he didn't ask for land. He, he didn't ask for anything special except a double portion of Elijah's purity. Everybody say, wow, with me. Wow. What a request. But how do you get purity? And I know when we think about purity, we, we have all kinds of things we think about that we shouldn't do. But I want to say this to you this morning. By serving God with your whole heart, that's how you get purity. Write this down. Be focused on serving God, for that yields purity. Listen, when your single focus, when your single ambition is to serve God, it will lead to and yield purity. No matter what you do for a living, no matter what you do to put food on your table, if your real single focus and your real single ambition is God as an accountant, God as a lawyer, God as a salesman, God as a teacher, my single focus is to serve you in that place. When that is your single focus, your single ambition, it leads to purity. So instead of focusing on the things of this world, especially the, the sinful things of this world that lead to impurity, Focus on serving your great God with your whole being, and that will lead to purity. I like to say it this way. Focus on doing something great for your great God while you wait for the next miracle you need from Him. Focus on serving Him while you wait. Because once again, here's the deal. God loves to do miracles for servants who live lives of purity in the midst of their current need. So be a pure servant like Elisha. Or even be like the Apostle Paul. Look at what Paul says. He goes, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. No matter what your current need is, I want to say this to you this morning, press on. Live with tenacity. Live with sensitivity. Live with purity. Because the Bible says this. Look at this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for it's they who will see God. If you press on in these ways, especially with purity, you'll see God. You'll be taken by God up to live with Him for all eternity in heaven. If you press on in these ways while you wait for your next miracle, you'll see God do something miraculous in you and for you and through you. And that's exactly what God did for Elisha. Look at this. The Bible says as they were walking along, talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and he tore those clothes apart. And then the scripture goes on and says, And then he picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. And when he struck the water... The Bible says it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Get this, folks. The same miracle that God had done for Elijah on the way in, the parting of the waters, is the same miracle that God did for Elisha on the way out. On the way out. God will do miracles in you and for you 
and through you when you live lives of purity. So how should you live between your last miracle and the one you need? First of all, live with tenacity. Don't give up. Go the whole distance with God. Don't run from God. Run to God. Don't run from the church family. Run to the church family. Don't run from the word of God. Get in it. Live with tenacity. Then live with sensitivity towards God and other people. Live with purity. Seek to serve God no matter what you're going through. Don't bail. Don't go on pause. Seek to serve God no matter what you're dealing with. And as you do those things, your great God will do great things in you and for you and through you. Today, maybe you need to pray, Lord, renew my tenacity. Because maybe you're not following God the way you used to. Maybe you need to pray, God, restore my sensitivity. Because you're looking at your issues and you're not being sensitive to what God is doing for you. You're not seeing, you're not looking at God. Maybe you need to pray, Lord, revive my purity because you aren't keeping a pure heart and a pure commitment to God. How's God speaking to your heart today? Is it to live with tenacity, sensitivity, or purity? Would you bow your heads this morning? And if God is speaking to you in this area of tenacity, would you just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I I need to go the whole distance. Okay. Amen. Good, good. Put it down. And now, if you're saying, I need to restore my sensitivity, I've gotten focused on life and what I'm going through. Pastor, pray for me, my sensitivity. I need to see God. Just lift your hand. Okay. Awesome. And now, Pastor, I need God to revive my purity. I don't have that pure heart. I don't have that pure commitment that I need. Pray for me. Just lift your hand. I see it. God sees it. Awesome. Okay. Awesome. Would you pray with me now? Would you pray in your heart, Father God, you are the great God of miracles. You know the next miracle that I need. I ask that you bring that miracle to pass. But in the meantime, like Elisha, I will trust you and I will live with tenacity, sensitivity, and purity. Father, we don't want to go through another year in the same way we've just went through the last year. We do want your Holy Spirit to change us for the better. We do want to draw closer to you. We do want your miraculous hand to be unleashed in our lives and through our lives. God, we surrender to you today. Have your way in us, we pray. And all of God's people said, Amen.